0: Hello, and welcome to the Burning Coal Theater's
1: podcast series, Into the Fire, with Jerome Davis.
0: Hi, I'm Jerome Davis. I'm the Artistic Director of Burning Coal Theatre Company and I'd like to welcome all of you to Into the Fire, the Burning Coal Theatre Company podcast on all things theatrical. Today we are very excited to have with us the director of Peter Pan and Wendy, Lillian White. Lillian, welcome.
1: Thank you, Jerry. I'm glad to be here.
0: Well we're glad to have you. Uh, We're a few days away from opening uh, Peter Pan and Wendy and it opens on Thursday the 30th of November and runs for three weeks through the 17th. You've been hard at work on this show in rehearsal for about seven weeks, six weeks?
1: Five weeks of rehearsal. Mm -hmm. Um, We had a weekend workshop in June and the creative team and I have been working on this since probably February or March.
0: Right, that's right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And how's it going?
1: It's going so well. I'm excited to have an
0: audience. That's good. There's something special about this production, uh, special to us at least, and that is the way in which the script is being created. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Sure. So this is a devised production. um, And what that means for this show is that we as an entire team, as the creative team, as a group of actors are using Jay and Barry's original novel, Peter and Wendy, as our primary source material, Um, and then some of his additional notebooks and letters and writings as secondary material that we're calling for images mm-hmm. um, that become the basis of our show
0: and some text as well mm-hmm. yeah. yeah so where, where did you find those uh, those additional sources
1: I guess I just was browsing as many online bookstores as I could there is a really great online resource mm-hmm. um, compiled by a man named Andrew Birkin who has put up photocopies of lots of photographs and letters and screen oh you know, notes for scripts. Um, so yeah. there's this big online resource
0: as well. Per, uh, f- uh, stuff that was personal to Barry himself. Or mm-hmm. well, That's interesting. Uh, and so um, you did some of that, and did other people involved in the production do that kind of research as well, or was that mostly in your hands?
1: That was mostly in my hands. Other people um, spent a lot of time with the novel. So, right. for example, Rob and our choreographer went through and picked out a lot of very specific pieces of prose from the novel that have cues um, or ideas or suggestions for the choreography Mm -hmm. Um, and so that became the foundation for the creative proposals that she brought in and the way that I think of creating devised theatre is to use proposals to use this sort of structure that people bring in and give to someone else and then those other people take it and refashion it and layer more things onto it Um, and then we arrive somewhere new and that you do that over the course of months Mm -hmm. Um, and so by the end of it you have a script and a play structure that has Something that really does have everyone's touch on it and really does have everyone's fingerprints all over it. I was
0: listening to a podcast uh, this morning. Uh, the The Royal Court Theater in London has a really wonderful podcast series that's uh, curated by Simon Stevens, the playwright uh, who wrote Heisenberg, which yeah. we did last year. And he was talking with Howard Brenton. I was about to say this morning, but God knows when they recorded it. But uh, I was listening to them talk this morning and Brenton talked about working on a BBC series, uh, you know, a sort of a, a mystery series, you know, that they have uh, spies and things like that called spooks, uh, although I think in the US it has a different name. But the producer of it is the, and I, I think her name is Jane uh, Feather, Featherstone, who is the sister of Vicki Featherstone, who's the artistic director at the Royal Court. So there's a connection there. But uh, Jane would have him and the other writers in the series uh, take a piece of paper and write just very quickly write two lines of dialogue at the top of the page and then send them all off to write an episode, just starting with those two lines. And Brenton, who's been around since before the earth cooled, you know, he thought at first, what an what a idiotic thing to do. I'm a writer. I don't need any help. But he said that he found it incredibly invigorating that that much of a of a frame and we are reminded, or I'm reminded that, that most great art does have a frame around it and so tell me about the frame that you use to, to pull together what must have been a vast amount of information
1: mm-hmm. It's a great question The So starting out from the very first time I read the book, I was extremely interested in the mother-daughter relationships mm-hmm. um, and in the darling reality that sort of bookends the adventures in Neverland um, and so I knew that in terms of framing the whole story I wanted to center it on Wendy's journey begins with her family, goes to Neverland and comes back to her family. Mm -hmm. And so I knew that a lot of the sort of prompts that we did more with physical work rather than having people write dialogue or scenes, but we did a physical parallel to that. A lot of those were grounded in having people devise what their character dreams about while they're in the darling reality Mm. that maybe connects to what they eventually discover in Neverland. Mm, So that's one example. So
0: some of the gestures that we see in the production which I'll I'll give that much away that that aren't uh, particularly naturalistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, come from the, that dream world? Yeah, absolutely. Right? Okay, mm-hmm. well, that's very interesting. Um, so a lot of people know uh, Peter Pan uh, uh, or think they know Peter Pan, but the the way in which the story uh, originally came about is, is it, it surprised me. I, I thought I knew it, but then I have learned over the last few months that it came about in a different way. Can you talk a little bit about that? Do you know the sequence of events?
1: Sort of, uh, I know. I know the general shape. I know that J.M. Barrie originally wrote Peter Pan as a play before he wrote the novel, mm-hmm. and that even with the play, he wrote, he rewrote versions and versions and versions. And so I think it wasn't until like like twelve years after it premiered mm-hmm. that he sort of announced that he'd arrived at the final, the final version, version of the script. Yeah. But then there's also Peter and Wendy, the novel that came out like seven years after the play. Uh-huh. There's Peter Pan in Kensington Gardens, which is sort of a backstory to Peter Pan about his experiences living with the fairies. As a baby. I as a baby, yeah. yeah, yeah. There's the little white bird, which is about another little boy, but has tendrils of Peter Pan in it. Uh-huh. So it's sort of thematically and as a character, Peter Pan runs through so many of J. M. Barrie's work. It's something mm-hmm. that he could never quite let go of. Mm-hmm.
0: I had heard that the, that the story had actually begun with uh, s- stories that he would tell his children uh, uh, at bedtime. Is that is that accurate?
1: I think. Um, So he had a very close relationship with the Davies boys, Um, Mm -hmm. so he befriended Sylvia Davies and she was a married woman, she was married to Arthur Davies, and they had five children, Mm -hmm. and so he sort of um, inserted himself into that family and became a very much beloved person. So they weren't his own children, although he did adopt them mm-hmm. when Sylvia died and when mm-hmm. Arthur died. But he, he did tell a lot of these stories to them, and they did go on vacations to an island. Um, and J.M. Berry wrote a short book about that called The the Boy Castaways, I think. Uh-huh. And he played games and staged these elaborate sort of adventure shreds with those boys. And all
0: that happened before the, the play, mm-hmm. which happened before the book. Uh, yeah. yeah. So he was kind of acting it out for the kids in order to get ready to write to it, perhaps. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, we, um, you know, I, I want to talk about you a little bit, but, uh, but I want to ask you one more question about Peter Pan, unless you have other things you'd like to talk about. We, we think of Peter Pan today, uh, uh, you know, as a, a, almost a syndrome, right? The mm-hmm. Peter Pan syndrome, the boy who wouldn't grow up, that sort of thing. Um, is that something that Barry was interested in, uh, do you think? Or is that something that we have needed uh, as a society to to build for ourselves?
1: Hmm. I think it may be more of a projection. I think that in a lot of Barry's writings, he writes about his own anxiety as a very small, like a very physically small man and as someone who didn't you know, there's sort of questions around whether or not he ever, um, consummated his marriage. And there were just yeah. a lot of anxieties that he, he wrote about, um, as someone who maybe didn't grow up in a way that was expected for a man right. of his time. Right. So I think those things were simmering in all of his work. Hmm. But, um, but I don't know if I would, hesitate hesitant to, to say that he, uh, wrote it as an expression of a syndrome or, analyzed himself as having a syndrome or something like
0: that. The fact that it's there doesn't necessarily mean that he knew it was there or wanted it to be there. Right, and
1: there's, I think, a book in the 1980s that's the Peter Pan Syndrome book. There's there's a title for it, but that launched that.
0: Well, and Michael Jackson, you know, (laughs) was coming along around that time as well. My wife always says the artist is the last person to ask about their work, and she points to Georgia (laughs) O'Keeffe. who insisted that there was nothing sexual about the flowers that she painted, you know, the lilies. and, Or is it lilies or orchids? I forget what she painted, but whatever. Um, So uh, let's talk about Lillian White now a little bit. How old are you, Lillian? Do you mind if I ask on the air? I'm
1: 24.
0: 24, very good. So you've been out of college for a year now? About a year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And tell me, where did you grow up? I grew up
1: in Darlington, South Carolina. Uh Um, It's about two hours south of here on Mm -hmm. a chicken farm. Um, my family's still there, and part of why I came to Raleigh after graduating was to be a little bit closer to them.
0: To the um, chickens. To to, uh, the to your parents. Okay, got it. Uh, <laughs> just just being clear there. Um, so, um, uh, Darlington is uh, is not a uh, uh, an area particularly known for producing great theater artists. How did you come about uh, working in this field? Hmm so to speak.
1: A little bit similar to J.M. Barry. I directed all the games for my younger sisters. Uh-huh. Okay. And you are clearly misinformed, Jerry. It was not well known for its theater until I debuted my, my directorial work at age eight. huh. And what was that? <laughs> uh,
0: what was your first... Uh, first it piece? was
1: a play called The Junkyard. Uh-huh. Um, and it was about a bunch of kids who lived in a junkyard and sort of played pranks on the owners of the junkyard.
0: And this, you made up from nothing? I mean, it was not based on a, no, a book you had read or? A... I, gosh, no, it wasn't based on
1: anything.
0: That's interesting, that's really interesting. <laughs> well, that's that's a good sign, you know, we hear that story a lot of young people who sort of make a, a creative world for themselves when where none exists, but but often it's an emulation of something else. So that's that's quite interesting that you were making the stories up. Um, so you went to high school and did theater? Or? I
1: did. I um, I went to the Governor's School for the Arts and Humanities in Greenville, South Carolina, which is an incredible public boarding school for the arts. and mm-hmm. um, has a, a stunning pre-professional drama program. Yeah. So I went there for two years. It changed my life. For two um, years. So, mm-hmm. oh, that's interesting. Yeah, 11th and 12th grades. Yeah. Um, and that was where I learned a lot about the craft of acting uh-huh. and also sort of... Was introduced to just a very high level of rigor and discipline. Where did
0: artists. the teachers come from?
1: They, ooh, some of them, I think, a lot of them were from South Carolina, but they mm-hmm. had spent time in other theater cities Mm -hmm. um and had come Mm -hmm. back to teach there
0: well i'm always amazed at how how much theater there is in south carolina i was being a little bit flippant about the darlington thing because (laughs) of the racetrack you know which is what everybody thinks about uh but um but there are a lot of small uh, you know sort of progressive uh, 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 forward-thinking theaters in south carolina it seems to me Um, the warehouse uh, Mm -hmm. is one of the better known ones, but there are others across the state as well. Did you have any experience as an audience member or as a practitioner in those?
1: I went to several plays at the warehouse because um, Jace Tromsness, who directs there frequently, yeah. was a teacher at the Governor's School. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there was a very strong link there.
0: Did you ever see anything Matthew Ernest directed there? Uh, he did a, a Winter's Tale uh, that, I, that I saw down there. He, he directed for us a number of shows over the years. and. Um, and had got developed a relationship with them and did I think I want to say three or four plays at the at the warehouse uh, yeah but there's a lot of stuff like that down there. there's one called trust us I think mm-hmm. you know you know that company I
1: do know of their work I haven't been to see them uh-huh. um
0: yeah and then um, there's, uh, of course, several you know significant universities there that I, I understand have very good programs. Uh, Clemson mm-hmm. uh, is one. Uh, obviously, USC is is one. But you didn't go to uh, college in state. You went out of state for college.
1: No, I went to
0: Oberlin College in Ohio. In Ohio, yeah. yeah which uh, Emily I attended for a short time. She, she did her freshman oh, really? year there, I think. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken. I didn't mistaken. know that. I think I've got that right. Uh, she may call me up and tell me that I got that wrong, <laughs> but I know she went one year to one school and then she got into um, uh, Cornell mm-hmm. uh, uh, undergrad and finished up there. Um, and I think it was Oberlin. Um, what, uh, what did you study at Oberlin? Was it a theater uh, course of study?
1: Um, I spent a year at Oberlin and then I actually left school for a year and worked at two different theater companies that that had a very big influence on me and uh-huh. when I went back I um, created an individual major in performance studies uh-huh. um, that was a slightly more academic major but um, was a study of theater and performance grounded in um, the African American Studies Department the Hispanic Studies Department and theater uh-huh. so so my angle sort of to performance came from um, questions about the role that theater played in human society.
0: Uh-huh. That's uh, that's interesting. Performance studies is like devised theater is a is a phrase that I think uh, a lot of people have heard, but very few of them know quite what it means. It's like dramaturg, you know, what does yeah. what that actually <laughs> mean? Um, so th- tell me about that performance studies. What, is, what does that mean to you? And, uh, and what's the value of it as opposed to just doing plays? Yeah.
1: For me, it was a study of how to make theater, the craft of making performance, but also Mm -hmm. um, inquiry into why we're making the performance we are and what counts as the basis for performance. I think in a lot Mm of theater programs, they're very Mm -hmm. script-based and that's changing, but they they very much privilege the playwright. And I think there's a whole world of performance traditions that aren't grounded in written word Mm -hmm. um, and aren't... that that are traditions, that are things that are handed down and that evolve from group um, contributions. Can you give me an example? Sure. So like one of the classes that I took focused on on the Ramayana in India, uh, which is a very um, important text and story. And so the class I took was about lots of different performance uh, manifestations of this story. And Mm -hmm. so we looked at some that had been more um, accepted and privileged as like state sponsored productions and then Uh some that had been super rewritten and adapted to be uh, parts of local festivals Mm -hmm. or events. And so it was the things that I was interested in were what kinds of creative choices were the different artists making and why. Um, And also what is an individual performance able to tap into as a sort of like larger story or pulse mm-hmm. um, that runs through a group. Okay, if that
0: makes sense. so yeah, it does. It, it absolutely does. The, it, it, so we're talking about a, a text that's pliable and that is sort of handed down through performing mm-hmm. as opposed to, f- for instance, through a published script right. uh, uh, or something like that. Uh, and uh, and what is the particular value of that?
1: Um, I think that, I think that there is, um, if you structure it right, there's a way of inviting people to the table of creation mm-hmm. that is much more open um, than going in saying like, okay, this is this is the singular play that we're doing and interpreting, mm-hmm. um, and so there's a space to sort of create something very new and unique to the group of people in the room, mm-hmm. um, and I totally love the the other version too, which is um, more faithful or based on one story that's not one script that uh-huh. already exists, uh-huh. but I think there's room for something. There's a room for a very amazing kind of ensemble work yeah. um, when there's not something that you're beholden to. And
0: the storyteller is is everybody in the room and not just a, mm-hmm. a single uh, person's vision of the world. Uh, mm-hmm. Perhaps, yeah, that's right. So it's, it's sort of egalitarian in a way versus... Uh, mm-hmm. um, yeah, uh, that's interesting. Um, so with that in mind, um, are there artists um, whose work you admire?
1: Oh my gosh, yeah. Um, so directors like like Julie Taymor had a big influence on me when I was young, uh-huh. um, because her worlds are so visual and so um, sort of attuned to the culture that she's pulling from. And I think that she very much tries to bring in and honor the cultures that she's working from, mm-hmm. even in terms of like the materials that she's using. So I think I read, for example, that when she was designing for The Lion King, mm-hmm. a lot of the materials were bought and sourced from mm-hmm. um, like South African countries and, and artists. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that, she's one artist who's had an influence on me. Um, Stephen Hoggett is a director that I observed recently, yeah. who's uh, one of the co-founders of Frantic Assembly, Yeah, and um, his he, he's someone who very much uses um, prompts to get people creating things and then suddenly before you know it when you're working with him as a group you've made this whole beautiful structure that you didn't even realize Mm -hmm. was coming together Mm -hmm. Um, but working with him and seeing how he planned and organized that to
0: happen does he he know where he's going from the start or or, and and uh, uh, usher people toward that or does he know it when he sees it
1: I think it's some of both. Some of I them mean, them. I can't speak for him, but, but yeah. observing him, it seemed that there were certain things that he knew mm-hmm. um, about the overall structure of the piece, but within that, there were all these questions and possibilities and room for responsiveness based on what the
0: actors yep. were doing. Yep. Uh, speaking of, uh, oh, I was gonna ask, are they the ones that did that Jane Eyre recently that was supposed to have been really good, uh, the, at the, I think no, at the National think, Theater? Was that Frantic Assembly? Name?
1: It was not Frantic Assembly, I don't think. Okay. Um, Okay. but I think the woman who directed that also did their version of Peter Pan.
0: Yeah, uh, Hickson, uh, something Hickson, yeah, Sarah Hickson, maybe, yeah. maybe. something like oh, that, uh, <laughs> Ella Hickson, maybe. Uh, <laughs> anyway, British chick, uh, no, I don't know what she is, uh, but uh, that uh, production has a lot of those elements in it and, and apparently is, is uh, um, electrifying uh, because of the lack of um, uh, sort of expected um, uh, Im- imagery that uh, mm-hmm. he's finding that she was finding ways to tell that story that that were unexpected. Um, when you when you think about uh, the future, um, Lillian, what what do you expect or what do you want for yourself going forward as an artist?
1: I think um, I'm very curious about continuing to work in this kind of way where there is a very long gestation period Uh and there are points of collaboration with artists along the way. I'm very curious about bringing in designers earlier in the process.
0: Uh Um, Meaning uh, at the very beginning as opposed to a week and a half before.
1: Right, exactly, because I think that there's, um, what is so liberating about devised theater is that because everything is a moving piece, one thing can take the lead so for example a design element a very cool set transition for example can take Mm -hmm. the lead and then a story can grow around that or we can find that okay this actor is doing this really amazing thing so we can sort of build the set to accommodate that Mm -hmm. so there's a really interesting conversation that can happen among all the different elements um, that is like thrilling and exciting and eventually you have to get to a point of deciding you know what what to go with, what choices to make.
0: Sally Cookson, that's okay, her that's name. Okay, that's what it is, uh, yeah, that's yeah. what it is. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was Googling while you were talking, yeah. So, so that, I mean, I think that's a, that's a really interesting uh, point. Um, when, uh, when you think about the, the future of the art form, do you see any impediments to your work going forward? Do you see anything that might uh, stand in the way of, of what you want to accomplish?
1: I think there's always a tension between what a creative process wants to be, Mm -hmm. um, and each one is different, and just the realities of, you know, you have to make certain decisions in January about when are we going to book the tickets for the artist to arrive, when are we going to schedule the show, when Mm -hmm. does, you know, there's so many logistical things that you have to map out. Right. Um, And so there's always a little bit of tugging between that side of things and then getting in the room and realizing, okay, we actually need to change this and we need to be able to respond to this thing that's happening. Yeah. but those are things that can be addressed you know those yeah. those things can be addressed yeah. by people and they have been in this process
0: we've well, made we've, we've tried uh, it's uh, but but what what often happens uh, so our listeners understand is that the um, the designers you know because there isn't a lot of money in our art form designers mm-hmm. have to have three or four jobs going on at one time mm-hmm. and so their availability is scarce and actors will often get a Better part or mm-hmm. better paying part or something. And the director often has a couple of shows going on at one time as well, or at least in process. And so the, the, the reality of it when you're not operating at the grandest level, you know, where the most money is, uh, is that often you're having to, to settle for things. Um, have you experienced that yet? I mean, certainly you have here, but in other parts of your uh, your life, have you experienced that? And, and how does a young artist approach that? You know, how do you uh, accept <laughs> that? Or do you accept it? Too?
1: Well, my response is just to throw everything I have into it. Uh-huh. Maybe too much. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. um, Meaning
0: uh, everything you have emotionally and physically. Yeah, everything emotionally
1: yeah. and physically, all the, all yeah. the time, all the, you know, Middle hours of the night when any other normal human would yeah. be sleeping. Good. Um,
0: yeah. Well, that's what—that's the only one. That's the only answer, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? There's no reason to talk <laughs> any further on that subject. That—that that is the the right, the right answer. Um, so, um, the the last thing I wanted to ask you, uh, Lillian, is—you um, know—you you obviously have some—you so, know—some pol- politics in your. Uh, uh, Life uh, in your in your mind, and um, I don't want you necessarily to talk specifically about that, but I do. I would love to hear your thoughts on the idea that. So let me just p- propose a proposition for you, and you mm-hmm. respond to it. Proposition. Mm-hmm. I feel like a King Arthur in Camelot. <laughs> proposition uh, that um, that great art must allow for all possibilities but great political action must take sides is there a conflict in your mind
1: um i think there's a tension i think there's a little bit of a conflict uh-huh. um i think that anytime you make a choice you're taking a side mm-hmm. or you know sides will be read right into it yeah um and so i think being self-aware about the choices you make and uh-huh. the sides you're joining is mm-hmm. essential mm-hmm. um and I think great art does need to allow for all possibilities. And also, as a culture, we have so many um, images and norms that we are socialized to mm-hmm. expect in terms of who do we expect to see in a position of power? Who do we right. expect to see in certain roles? And I think that theater is so exciting because you can, you can reimagine those things in such an immediate way. And
0: show that world uh, right. relatively easily.
1: <clears throat> right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, and in theater you're striving to access what's human about each each person in each role Uh and so I think there is a um, an opportunity to surprise yourself
0: Uh well that's really nice Uh, and the the audience um, will will be surprised in uh, Peter Pan for one reason because of a casting decision that you've made that that goes back to Barry's original (laughs) ideas about Uh the play but but isn't um, how it is traditionally done at all? Um, is are there other uh, elements of the production not to give again too much away, but things that you feel like where you're you're pushing against the sort of accepted, um, you know, dogma of uh, of, uh, of the Peter Pan faith? Uh? Mm,
1: I think um, I think the the lineage of women that is um, huh. the backbone of the play is as a stronger presence in this version than in a lot of other versions yeah um, and I think the sort of play between reality and memory um, that we experience in this version of Peter Pan um, because we see adult Wendy remembering her experiences mm-hmm. and we see her telling about her her experiences to her daughter who then goes on to neverland herself right there's um, we get to see both young wendy's adventures in neverland and sort of the the corners that she turns but Mm -hmm. then we also get to jump forward in time with her Mm -hmm. and see how those things live on
0: okay that's that's uh, terrific that's a good way of saying it Uh, um, it's been a delight working with you over the last uh, six weeks or so and i'm looking forward to opening the show on thursday night in front of what will undoubtedly be our youngest audience <laughs> in quite some time, uh, uh, present company notwithstanding. So, um, so we're looking forward to having, uh, having the show in the theater uh, through December 17th. Uh, tickets uh, 919-834-4001 uh, or burningcold.org. And we run uh, November 30th through December 17th. And we've added Saturday matinees for this one. Lillian, thank you very much.
1: Thank you very much, Jerry. I'm excited too.
0: Very good. Thank you for listening, and be sure to check out our production, Peter Pan and Wendy, running from November 30th to
1: December 17th, 2017, at the Murphy School in Raleigh. For more information, visit our website at burningcoal.org.